Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Good morning. It is Monday, the 13th of July. It's basically the middle of the year. I don't know. I think so. I don't know. Maybe the middle of the year was the 1st of July. But I don't know. This feels like the middle of the middle. I don't know. It's kind of the middle. Good morning. How great is our God? I want you to, I want you to hear that this morning and, um, and ask, do I hear that as a question or do I hear, hear that as a declaration? How, how great is our God? How, how great is is our God. How how great is our God? Does it sound like a question to you or does it sound like a declaration this morning? Chris Tomlin uh, sings a song by that name, How Great Is Our God. Uh, the splendor of a king clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands and time is in his hands, beginning and the end. The Godhead, three in one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, name above all names, worthy of our praise. My heart will sing, how great is our God. You're the name above all names. You are worthy of our praise, and my heart will sing, how great is our God. I want to encourage you today to let your heart song be a declaration to the rest of the world, burning in chaos. I want your heart song today to be a declaration of the greatness of God in the face of evidence to the contrary. You and I are evidence to the truth that God is good and God is great. The rest of the world stands wondering. The God who spoke light into darkness, the God who brought order out of chaos, the God who created life and declared what he had made to be good. Yes, there is lots of bad, depressing news today. I grant you that. Uh, that's no different than any other day since uh, the fall of uh, of creation in Eden. Certainly uh, no worse today than it was in the days of Noah. So, uh, you know, as twisted up as we might get about all the bad news out there today, uh, if you want to just remind yourself how bad it can get when uh, people conceive all day long of new forms of evil, reread uh, the days of the judges. Reread the days of Noah. So you and I have come to expect that there's going to be bad news and lots of it. But God is good news and God gives good news and God grants that we should be the people who extend good news to more and more people. So don't lose sight today of the reality beyond the reality around you. The reality is the greatness and goodness of our God. How great is our God We declare in the face of a world who asks, how great is God? Psalm 
47 verses 5 to 7 are an encouragement here. How great is our Lord. His power is absolute, his understanding beyond comprehension. The Lord supports the humble, brings the wicked into the dust. Sing out your thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to our God. Indeed, God is great. All right, you and I uh, are going to enter in today uh, into a declaration of the excellencies of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I'm going to lead off with a conversation with Kim Metter. If you've ever wondered what it might be like to live a wholeheartedly, whole-mindedly, soul-sold-out-for-Jesus kind of life, uh, that's probably the best description I have of my next guest, Kim Metter. Her book is Revival Rising. We'll be right back. to welcome Kim Meter to the program today. We're going to talk about her ministry. We're also going to talk about her book. The book is Revival Rising, Embracing His Transforming Fire. Kim, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. It's so great to be together today. Well, it's wonderful to have you. I'm, um, I'm actually kind of excited to have you share with us both the vision and then the reality of this youth ranch, Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch. Um, I'm intrigued by this. Uh, and if you're listening, you can find it at crystalpeaksyouthranch.org. Kim, tell us about it. You know, everyone comes from somewhere and everyone's been through something. And many, many years ago when I was young, I, oh, there's just no way, easy way to say this. I actually was uh, picked up at my little school by my dad's best friend and my two older sisters. And we drove a very familiar road in silence to my grandparents' house. And no one would speak. And during that drive, I just had this choking feeling that something horrific had happened. And we arrived and there were cars parked everywhere. And I could just feel grief pouring from the house. And for the first time in my young life, I did not want to go into a home where I only ever felt love. And I was just pushed into the uh, doors by my shoulders. And the house was just filled with all these grieving, wailing people. And and I was pushed into the arms of a woman that I recognized but didn't know. And, and she was crying so hard that she sounded like she was choking. And she just kept going around and around in this nauseating vortex of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. And finally, she just said, I don't know how to tell you this, but your dad has just murdered your mother and taken his own life. And I'm so sorry. And I remember looking at her and thinking, my dad loves my mom and he loves me and he would never do that. You're a liar. And just pushed off her chest and ran out the door in this nine-year-old's effort to just outrun the unthinkable and ran and ran until there was nothing left. And I'd been running through an orchard that had been plowed and just falling face down in the dirt. And I was inhaling dirt and sobbing and choking and retching and and I could hear what I thought were animal sounds and I didn't even recognize the sound of my own voice as I started to cry out Jesus help me Jesus will you help me now I need you 
And Carmen, I didn't even know who Jesus was. I wasn't raised in the church. I'd only been to church twice in my life. And what I now know is it doesn't matter who you are, how you were raised, what you were taught to believe, or what religion you are from, your family has been raised within. When your heart is being destroyed, Romans 1 is true. We turn intuitively to the one who made our heart because we know that that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can heal it. I didn't know the power of verses like Romans 10, 13 that declares everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All I knew in that moment is there was an ignition in my heart, a pop, a little fire of hope. I knew I was no longer alone and that somehow I would get through this. And on that day, my sisters and I moved in with my grandparents and my blessed little tiny grandmother had the wisdom to buy a little horse for me. And between friendship with a little horse and the redeeming love of Jesus Christ, this wild child's life was redeemed. I did not know that that season of working through my grief in the presence of a horse with the love and the word of God would become the figurehead of everything God had in store, just moving out in front that our pain has a purpose, all of it. Every day of what you and I have suffered, when we give that pain to Jesus Christ, he's the only one who can do that. Genesis 50, 20, what was meant to destroy you by, I will use to give life. And met and married my husband. We moved to the eastern slope of the Cascade Mountain Range in, in central Oregon, rescued two horses, brought them to a broken piece of property filled with broken trees and this broken life. And as only Jesus Christ can, he fit all the broken pieces together to become the perfect place to heal the hearts of broken kids. And uh, that was 25 years ago. And in the last 25 years, we've rescued over 300 horses. We see about 5,000 visitors a year because our program is completely free. God is not poor and he supports what belongs to him. And so um, we've also helped to start about 220 other ministries like this one that serve the Lord in a ranching environment free of charge in the United States, Canada, and in a dozen in foreign countries. And that is what God can do with pain that is wholeheartedly given to him. I'm, uh, I'm accustomed to knowing the follow-up question because I'm pretty good at this, but you have plowed so much uh, land between the beginning of this conversation and where we now stand. Um, and I have, uh, you know, I have a thousand questions. Um, let's, let's do this. Let's, um, let's talk about personal revival. Um, because in addition to Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch, which is where people can find you, um, you've also written a book, Revival Rising. And so I want to talk about revival, and I want to talk about, um, you know, the transforming power of God, and I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. So let's take a very brief break, and when we come back, I'm going to continue my conversation with Kim Meter. The book is Revival Rising. The ministry is crystalpeaksyouthranch.org. We'll be right back.
right, returning now to my conversation with Kim Meter. We're talking about her book, Revival Rising, Embracing His Transforming Fire. Um, so, Kim, let's just talk about revival. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit, and let's talk about God's transforming power. You know, I'm I'm super visual, and I love that Jesus spoke in parables. And here's something that you can see to understand something that you can't yet And recently I was in my house and I was spending time in the word with the Lord and I could hear this commotion that could only be a bird falling down the stovepipe of my wood stove into the firebox, Mm. which really did not have a fire in it. And so I was able to carefully reach into the firebox and draw out the most despised of all birds. It was a starling, a, a little female starling. And she was covered with ash and soot and was just trembling in fear. And and I walked outside very carefully and just flattened my fingers. And without being told what to do, her DNA hardwiring, she just flew off hard and fast into the freedom that she knew that she had. And the Lord spoke to me over that moment. And it was like seeing myself being born in this world, in the firebox, and knowing that without rescue and redemption, I am going to die in this black place, just covered in the ash and soot of all the challenge and despair and and wounding of this world. And it was Jesus Christ himself who has reached into the black firebox of each one of our lives. And it is he who has drawn us out And if you call yourself by his beautiful name, his hand is flat. He is offering freedom. Galatians 5, 1 is true. It is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free and for us to fly hard and fast into what he offers every single person every single day. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He left heaven's glory and the side of his dad. And he came to this earth for me and for you. And he lived a perfect life. And he laid that life down in our place and rose again. And when he did that, he broke the lock on the door of our sin and our suffering. And that door can never be closed again. And it's a fact we are all going to spend time in that firebox of suffering. And when we do, there's no better time to know that the door is open And it is Jesus Christ who is reaching in right now to draw us out. And we choose, we choose if we're going to fly back into the box and close the door and complain and cry that my life is so full of suffering and pain, or we can fly hard and fast into the freedom, the absolute freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. When it comes to genuine revival, that genuine revival is not something that happens near our heart. It is something that happens within our heart. Um, Hebrews 12, 29 is true, which declares our God is a consuming fire and that all of us have stood next to a fire that is burned by. But until that fire is ignited within your heart and my heart, Revival is always going to be something that we know about but are never a part of. God is calling us to invite the power of his presence, his love, his freedom, his hope, and his peace into our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is where revival begins, in you and those around you. 
And it's not just for me. It begins within me. I mean, that's one of the, uh, I think, important parts of the conversation that you have in the book. Let me just uh, pause briefly and tell people a little bit about the book. Um, Revival Rising is Kim Meter's book, Embracing the Transforming Fire. Um, It really centers around Mark chapter 12, just three verses, 29 to 31. Um, Kim moves through what I'll describe as five sections, reawaken my heart, restore my soul, renew my mind, reinforce my strength, reignite my love for the lost. Um, And one of the things that I really love about it, uh, Kim, are the, I'll call them like pivot prayers. They're, They're these just short prayers, right? And you're, I think that what you're seeking to provoke is that they would be little points of pivot, like a pivot in my thinking, a pivot in my um, in the way that I'm approaching something, um, a pivot in my perspective. These little pivot points are just very brief prayers, something as short and brief as lead me, Holy Spirit. Um, talk about sort of actively cooperating with the Holy Spirit um, as a part of not only personal revival, um, but the kind of revival that we're praying for and and certainly see on the rise around the world. Absolutely. that That God... The whole book is centered around a, a verse that Jesus said when he was asked, what's what's the, the most important command? And his answer was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And that Jesus is calling us to be wholehearted for him. He didn't endure the cross so that we could entrust to him our, our little bits and pieces. When we just give God a portion of our heart or a bit of our soul or a fragment of our mind, an ounce of our strength— when we only give him part, we're actually giving him nothing because we are still in charge. When we only give God part of our heart, that's the only part he can redeem and heal and fill and lead. And as a rancher, let me tell you straight, when you're leading a horse, if the horse only wants you to lead part of it, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> that you cannot lead part of a horse. God does not want to lead part of us. When we only give him a part of our heart, that's exactly the same as giving him part of your cancer. The rest of it's still going to kill you. He wants to heal not your part, but your all. And he can only do that when we trust him more than what we think we know and give him our all and be wholehearted for him. And then hence the prayer, lead me, Holy Spirit. He can only lead me when I've given him everything that I am. And when we do that, we are literally inviting the Spirit of heaven to come in and roar through us. And that's when we see those miraculous encounters of heaven coming to earth in our midst, because that's literally what's happening as the Holy Spirit moves through those who are choosing to be wholehearted for the cause and the love of Jesus Christ. I love your heart. Um, I love the the energy and passion that you have, not only for the gospel, but, well, and these aren't distinct, so I'll, it's going to sound like I'm making a distinction here, but um, for the Word of God. Uh, I love the way that you keep reminding us and declaring to us the truth of God's Word. He is faithful. He is good. Um, he is God. He is glorious. He is merciful. He is steadfast. Like there's, there's the this way in which you speak, um, Kim, that uh, encourages people to be confident in God. That is, um, that is a real gift that you have uh, as you are 
as you're talking about not only your life and and what God has done, um, I know you have this deep desire to make much of Jesus. Uh, And one of the things that I just genuinely appreciate is how you are encouraging each of us to sort of reignite our own testimony, to learn to do what you did at the outset of this conversation, which is to tell your story of transformation. Um, And so thank you for all of those um, gifts that you have given us today. Let me invite our listeners to uh, grab a copy of Revival Rising, Embracing His Transforming Fire. And if you want to visit the ministry website, you can find Kim Meter at crystalpeaksyouthranch.org. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's been a pleasure and a joy. It's been a delight. We'll be right back. I think I want to have a conversation about conflict resolution um, and why dueling is a part of American history and really it's a carryover from practices of the Middle Ages. Why am I talking about this? Well, because on the 11th of July in 1804, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton snuck out of Manhattan and across the river to New Jersey um, and really under the... um, well, in the presence of a, a federal judge, you know, they, they carried out this duel, this honor duel. Um, I'm going to talk with Adam Carrington about that in just a moment. We're also going to talk about what in the world uh, the practical outcomes of the Supreme Court decision last week, which has deemed half of the state of Oklahoma, half, half of the state of Oklahoma to be a Native American reservation. We're also going to tra- talk about Uh, The case is related to Trump, and that gets us all the way back to Aaron Burr. Yeah, there you go. It's a full circle. So I'm going to talk with Adam Carrington about all that. Now, hey, in the meantime, go visit MyFaithRadio.com. There's actually a survey up right now for listeners to this show. So if you're hearing me, then you're a listener to the show, and we really, really, really want you to help us out. Go to the website, fill out the survey. It doesn't even take five minutes. It might take two minutes. Um, Okay, so MyFaithRadio.com. Click on the... Mornings with Carmen survey. Please, please, please give us your input. We'll be right back. Parents often worry about connecting with their struggling teen. But the more I hear their stories, the more I worry about their marriage. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your child is in pain, it's tough on mom and dad. In fact, it's exhausting. But in the midst of all those struggles, I hope you'll protect a very precious relationship, your marriage. When disagreements over discipline begins to infringe on your marriage relationship, take time to get on the same page with your spouse. Remember, you are not enemies. You're working toward a common goal, and that's to move your family in a healthy direction. So step back and take some time for your marriage. You might be surprised how it helps your struggling team. Looking to make positive changes in your family? Check out the helpful resources from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
Joining me now, Dr. Adam Carrington. He is an assistant professor of politics at Hillsdale. You can find him at hillsdale.edu. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back. Hope you're all doing well. (laughs) Okay, so we have a lot to cover. Um, Let's start with uh, Oklahoma. Okay, could you just explain to us what the Supreme Court decision uh, is and what it means? Right. Uh, this is the McGirt case, and uh, what, and it really had to do with a Native American uh, gentleman who uh, was part of the Creek Indian Indian tribe, and he was um, convicted of of crimes uh, in state Oklahoma federal or Oklahoma court, and claimed that under an old longstanding treaty between the United States and his Native American tribe that trial never should have happened in that court, that uh, either the federal government now or in the past, the Native American tribe itself had to try him. And to determine that, um, the whole question became, what was the status of, uh, the, of a huge chunk, including Tulsa, of eastern uh, Oklahoma? Uh, was it technically under uh, Native American uh, reservation land, or was it uh, part of the state of Oklahoma in all normal senses? And um, obviously, beyond that particular crime and its trial, one could see, you know, potentially lots of of, of imp- what maybe even wild implications. And it was a five four vote, uh, but the court said that uh, for at least these limited purposes of uh, these kinds of criminal trials, if you are a uh, Native American on Native American soil in Oklahoma, um, a trial like this has to occur in federal court until the uh, uh, Congress comes in and says otherwise. So, you know, that's a narrow technical thing, but I think people are right to be at least wondering uh, what does this mean for uh, other things in Oklahoma? What does this mean for other areas that have uh, nearby uh, Native American tribes and old standing treaties regarding their land? And there would be lots of those. Like, I just think that in terms of a review of uh, of where you live and its relationship to Native peoples, that's an interesting exercise, no matter where we live across the country, because um, most of us live in places where there were Native Americans before there were, um, you know, Westerners who arrived. So it's a, it's a fascinating case, and, and I think timely in terms of the conversations we're having as a country. Um, and our history. So let's pivot then to some other Supreme Court uh, decisions or rulings that came down. All of these in relationship to uh, President Donald Trump. Um, so I, I would love for you to set these uh, set these up for us, um, and then give us your your understanding of where we are in terms of the president's requirement or non requirement to um, disclose particular documents. Right. So so there were two cases, one both wanting the pres- a lot of pres- of the president's financial information, particularly the much discussed uh, but unpublished tax returns. One was Congress wanting them um, and the other was the uh, a district attorney of the state of New York. Uh, so not federal, but state. And uh, the, 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 the particular decision of the court was to punt whether the president has to turn those over to a later date. And to be honest, a later date where these will not be turned over before the 2020 election. So for those who are thinking of this 
you know, mostly in, in, in the electoral terms, uh, that's that's the the end. You know, that's the end of that possibility. What the court instead says is. Um, these cases, uh, when they were decided in lower courts, were just decided all wrong. We're going to give you the standards we want them decided by. And I'll go back to the lower court, try them according to these standards, and then we'll see. And I think uh, beyond the partisan politicking, and of course, there's a lot of that uh, because of, you know, is there stuff in, in these documents that would be damaging to the president or not? Um, what the court was focused on was that uh, the line between the different branches of government. So the district attorney of New York was trying to, uh, uh, the question was protecting the president from um, harassing prosecutions on one hand, but then giving uh, the, the state attorney uh, or and the state courts enough power to try and convict other people that are being investigated for crimes. Uh, for the other case, it was really a question of the line between legislative and executive power. You still want to protect the president so that he's not being harassed into being unable to do his job. But Congress said, we need this information in order to uh, know more, more enough stuff to, to, to pass new laws about campaign finance and things like that. And I think what the court was at least trying to do is say— all of you abstractly have legitimate claims. Uh, we need to know as much as we can to uh, decide whether people are guilty or innocent, the New York case. We need to have a line uh, where the, the Congress knows as much as it can in order to pass smart laws. But in both cases, we have to protect the president as well. So here's our criteria, criteria for you to try to balance that. Now go back and and decide. And what it ends up doing is um, giving the president a lot of power to protect himself, but still saying that there are many cases where the other branches would have a right to this. Now let's retry this and see where this particular issue falls within that criteria. Okay, um, so one of the things that comes up in um, in these cases is uh, is Aaron Burr. <laughs> So, right? I mean, am I right in making that connection um, historically to what's happening today? Absolutely. Uh, there's a long narrative about Aaron Burr, and, and this is something that took place shortly after, you know, those who have been uh, watching uh, the Hamilton musical on, on online or got to see it before. Um, after he shot uh, uh, Aaron, uh, after Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton, and the anniversary of that was this past Saturday, uh, he then went on a uh, was accused of going on a scheme to basically revol uh, uh, move out west and start a revolution of his own to basically cut off a piece of federal territory from the United States and form his own state, his own like government. Uh, and 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 uh, where this comes up in 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 the in the court documents uh, and uh, is that uh, there was a whole question of whether. Um, Aaron Burr could subpoena his uh, former uh, the uh, the man he was vice president to Thomas Jefferson and force Jefferson to appear in his treason trial, the trial that Burr was having against himself for treason. And so because of that, in the, right as soon as this anniversary comes up, as soon as it's on TV, you see this coming uh, up again. And by the way, it's another reason a sort of reinforced why Hamilton, 
in hit historically and in the musical, I think rightly says, said uh, Burr was someone not to trust. Someone Burr was someone not to uh, be believed that he was following anything but his own desires, his own good. And so, yeah, it's interesting that that all of this seems to come together at the same time. The court gives extensive discussion of this episode of American history that uh, we are all that we are revisiting in popular culture. Okay, and um, Adam Carrington and I are going to actually stay on this Aaron Burr topic uh, when we come back from a very brief break. I, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask about dueling. I'm going to ask about uh, standing in for your honor. Who's your second? I'm going to ask the relationship between dueling in America and gun violence today. I know none of this is Adam Carrington prepared to talk about, but it's a morning, it's a Monday morning conversation, and these are the questions I have. So these are the questions I'm asking. This is up next on Mornings with Carmen. All right, so in 1804, Alexander Hamilton allegedly said uh, things about Aaron Burr that were defamatory, and the way they chose to um, resolve the matter was to sneak out of Manhattan and across the river to New Jersey at something like 5.30 in the morning um, to have a duel, to duel it out. This was considered an honorable way to resolve things because supposedly— um, God would show up on the side of the person who succeeded in killing the other person in the duel. And you would name a second, um, and your second would be a another person who stood there for your honor. Um, and federal judges, in this case, stood, <laughs> stood at these duels. Okay, so I'm going to try to have Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College explain to us um, a little bit about this. And just reflect together about violence in America, gun violence in America, and how we sometimes celebrate things like duels or shootouts in um, in old Western movies and even shootouts in movies today. And really, it's it, it, it's the taking of a human life. And so I just want to talk about it. Right. And I will say, if you want the rules for duels, uh, the, the musical has a great song called Ten Duel Commandments that actually lays them out very well. Uh, and I think what you have in America when it comes to dueling is very conflicting streams that uh, both are going on at the same time. One is uh, this this idea of honor. Um, that that you mentioned, and and not just you're right that 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 they thought God would be on your side, but um, this idea of of how much honor was bound up with one's life. Um, it goes back to if anyone reads the play Richard the uh, Second, one of the characters is being accused of of being dishonorable, and he says, "My honor is my life. Both grow as one. Take honor from me, and my life is done." And so this idea of reputation, so the idea is because your reputation isn't, your life isn't worth it without your reputation and your honor, so you better defend it with your life and be willing to take life to defend it, really is the underlying idea of honor that comes into the United States. But here's what's interesting. One reason they went to New Jersey was it was illegal to do to duel in New York, and it was illegal at that time in 1804 to duel in most of America. 
And uh, part of that comes from, I think, the, the, the influence of Christianity, because an interesting thing is when, when, when uh, Hamilton, after he was shot, he wanted to take um, communion before dying. And uh, uh, he asked a, a Presbyterian minister who said, well, I can't because the rules of, of Presbyterianism say you can't give private communion. But then an mm-hmm. Anglican minister refused to because he said, don't you know dueling's wrong and you're on your deathbed because it's dueling, <laughs> right? So there were these 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 conflicting streams. And I think you're right. This Even though we don't normally have these kind of duels today, uh, you still have this idea of people being willing to fight and even kill for honor. Uh, I, I even saw it in a movie. I was, you know, I, 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 I was, you know, my my newborn was uh, up late, and I watched Rebel Without a Cause, the James Dean movie. And there's a point where he asks his father, "What if you have to do something dangerous to protect your honor?" And it was, you know, something involving cars, and someone gets killed as a result. But I thought immediately that sounds like the same arg- question of of dueling. Uh, and, and that's in the 1950s. So we we can so we continue uh, to ask the question, what is a life worth? And the question of dueling and honor is asking, are there lives that aren't worth living? And how would we make that kind of determination? And how do we make it when we have these weapons that allow us to take it if that's our our choice? Okay, so I Googled while you were talking um, about this being refused communion on his deathbed. Uh, I do think there's just all kinds of profound, profoundly interesting connections between, you know, what what happened in history and what continues to happen today. Um, We sometimes talk today about the refusal of communion to people who um, are technically Catholic, but who advocate, let's say, for access to abortion. And so we talk about politicians who have been um, refused communion by Roman Catholic priests today because those uh, because those politicians um, align themselves with the Democratic Party, which advocates for abortion on demand at that taxpayer you know, expense. I mean, just think that there's an inter- there are such interesting conversations to be had at the intersection of religion and politics. And it's it's provocative. It's timely. It gets people talking not only about history and our founding, but it gets people talking about um, the politics today and and how our faith is born out in our public life. Um, I know that's kind of a passion point for you. What are you teaching this semester? Uh, I am actually on a uh, on a fellow a research fellowship this this <gasps> semester. So I what are you I, researching? So, uh, I am writing a book on the uh, early federal judiciary and how it understood the uh, the nature of judicial power and how the separation of powers protects liberty when it's understood properly. So, uh, I'll, uh, so I, I won't get to do that in my classroom this this fall, unfortunately. But hopefully, this bigger project will come out. I would say really fast, if I could, um, that the thing with Hamilton too is uh, Hamilton had a, a very uh, de- dedicatedly religious. Uh, uh, early period of his life, seemed to fall away from Christianity, but then come back to it later. And uh, he is is said by the Presbyterian minister that spoke and prayed with him on his deathbed, he is said to have uh, declared, I have a tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we all, and, and and that he had comfort in where he would, what would happen to him when he died. And we often have debates about, you know, how Christian were the founders, and I think it's hard to ask that in a broader sense, and it seems like Hamilton really did, you know, whatever the merits of then dueling, whether that was the right call as a Christian, uh, that that was something he was resting and relying on in his last moments. All right, so um, I'm going to do more research on this because I'm fascinated by this story um, and, and you know, his understanding of himself and relationship to God and the church. And, um, you know, it's, it's all woven together. And, Adam, you always help us uh, understand it better. So that's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We'll be praying for you while you're working on this uh, study project of the early federal judiciary. I don't know. You're going to have to come up with clever really clever introduction to the book so that we'll be all be sucked in um right right be something about, best. no you're gonna do great you're gonna do great we can't wait to read it all right that's it uh, for this hour but we got another hour of mornings with carbon up next All right, somebody's asking me what I was referring to um, in relationship to people being refused communion today. Um, I'm thinking here about Governor Cuomo in New York, and I'm thinking about former Vice President Joe Biden, both of whom have been denied communion by Catholic priests because of their, uh, yeah, because of their stance on abortion. All right, that's all the time we've got in this hour, but I got a whole nother hour up next, so stay with us. In the meantime, go on to MyFaithRadio.com, fill out the listener survey for Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.